chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, reading from verse 1 through to verse 20. Mark 4, verse 1 to verse 20. And this is the living and infallible word of God. Again Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered round him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, The plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and produced a crop multiplying 30, 60 or even a hundred times. Then Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving. And ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them. Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path. Where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes it away, takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, Like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even a hundred times what was sown. Amen. 26. Psalm 126. And this is the portion of God's word that we will be considering in a few moments time. Psalm 126. 
Psalm 126, and this is a song of ascents. This is God's word. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. Amen. Psalm 126. I was reminded again this morning, just as I arrived, and thank you, Jonathan, for this, that the older you get, the faster the years seem to go. And it's hard to believe that here we are on the 1st of January 2017. It really is hard to take in. And as we stand on the 1st of January 2017, it is natural for us to look back and look at 2016 and all that has taken place there. And 2016 has been a year of great change. It's been a year of great challenge. There have been blessings. There have been completion of projects like the one in which we stand now. There have been challenges that haven't been so gracious. Where we have faced difficulties. And obstacles that perhaps we didn't think that we would ever get over. And it may be that we stand here on the 1st of January 2017 and we look at the year that is to come with a high degree of trepidation. We don't know what this year will hold, but we feel weary. We feel discouraged. And perhaps we're in the position of thinking, well, I just can't face another year. In this particular psalm, we come to a people who are looking back. They're looking back at what has happened. And as they look back at what has happened, they look back in a particular way. They're not looking back at what has happened with bemusement or trepidation. They're not looking at discouragement. They're not looking at being downcast. But as they look back, they see joy. They see hope. They see a determination that is there that should be an encouragement. 
should be an encouragement and an inspiration to us. So however it is that we stand at the the doorway of this new year, let us take two truths from this particular psalm into this new year. Two, Two truths that should encourage us, that should strengthen us, that should inspire us. The first truth is this. The Lord is the source of joy. The Lord is the source of joy. In verses 1 to 3 of this psalm, we see the people looking back. This is one of those songs of ascent that would have been sung by the pilgrims as they're making their way to Jerusalem to sacrifice. They're making their way to Jerusalem to sacrifice. And as they're doing so, they're considering the history of the people. They're looking back. They're looking at how God has worked in the people over the years, throughout the centuries. And that is what is happening here. There is this looking back. And as they look back, they recall the painful reality, the painful experience of exile. We sang a moment or two ago from Psalm 137, and it is indeed a lament. It is indeed a crying out to God that whenever they were sitting by the waters of Babylon in exile, they wept, they were sad, they remembered Zion. And in remembering Zion, they remembered All that had been lost, all that they had, that blessing, that grace that they knew in the city of God. But it had been taken away from them. It had been removed. And they cried this painful cry of how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? And as we think of some of the things that have happened in 2016... As we've seen Christians under pressure in our land, perhaps in a way they've never been before. Brought before the courts because they simply want to stand on gospel principles. Perhaps it is our thought, well within our society, within the world in which we find ourselves, how can we sing the Lord's song? How can we declare his name whenever everything seems to be so much against us? The long years of loss and oppression upon these people have cast a shadow. And as they look back, they look back Upon that time of pain and of exile and of loss. But look at what they're saying about it. They're not saying that this was something that so oppressed us that we couldn't get through it. No, they talk about the Lord bringing back the captives. They talk about the Lord restoring. They talk about the Lord having done great things for them. Their focus is not upon the exile and the pain of the exile. 
Their focus is not upon their experience. Their focus is totally upon the Lord. And when their focus is on the Lord, then they can know joy. They express this experience of the knowledge of the Lord that that has an almost unreal element. It's almost something they don't understand. We are like men who dreamed. This has come in from the outside. This is something that has appeared that they don't fully understand. Yes, they should be oppressed. They should be experiencing this pain, but they're not. There's this dreamlike experience that they have of the Lord touching them, of the Lord lifting them out of their pain. And rather than the pain of oppression, they experience this joy that is so deep and so real. There's an exuberance to it. This is something that we need to learn. We need to learn that no matter how bleak and how dark things may be, No matter how heavily that cloud may weigh down upon us and it seems to block out all light, there still is this chink of light. There still is this blessing that is there. It is there. But there are times indeed that we do need to look to it. We do need to look for it. But that light That light that brings joy, that light of the Lord is there and we need to cling on to that at times. Here we see the people celebrating the truth that God has been faithful to them. That God has been with them through the exile. That God has been with them in those times of darkness, in those times of Of oppression. That as the Lord promised to be faithful to them. As the Lord promised to bring them through that time. As the Lord promised to lift them out of those depths. So now he has lifted them out. Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 51.11. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads and they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Here we see the fulfillment of that promise. Here we see the celebration of the fulfillment of that promise that the Zion, the captives have been brought back to Zion, that they are singing with joy, that they are rejoicing, that that gladness and joy is upon their heads and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And that promise that was given to the Zion, uh, to the people to be brought back to Zion is a promise that comes to us. That as God works within us, as God works through us, God is working out his purposes. He is fulfilling his purposes 
in and through us. And we can look forward to a glorious future, to a rest and a peace when we are brought into the presence of God in all its fullness that we cannot comprehend or understand. The Lord is the source of joy. And as we look back in 2016, perhaps we're thinking to ourselves, well, I don't really know much about how God worked in me in the past year. I don't understand how God has been faithful. If God has been faithful to me, why did I have to face this trial? If God has been faithful to me, why did this happen? Why did this come up in my experience? The people of God in the Old Testament were not promised an easy ride. And this is something we need to understand. They were not promised an easy ride. They were taken into exile. They were removed seemingly from the promise. They were removed far from the city of God. They were taken to somewhere where darkness was allowed to surround them in a way. And our experience can be the same. We can be removed from what we think is the place of blessing. We can be removed to somewhere where we just seem to be in that position of darkness. But the promises of God remain. The faithfulness of God remains. The trustworthiness of God remains. And even in those points of darkness... There can be those shafts of light from God so that he shows us his grace in special and particular ways. Even if we think to the, back to that point when God illuminated us and showed us our need of him. As God worked within our lives and showed us how his light must shine upon us. We can remember how God is faithful to us when we look to Christ. As Paul said in Romans 5 verse 8. But God shows his love for us. That while we were still sinners. When we seem separated from God. When we're in bondage to sin. Christ died for us. And so it is if we find ourselves in darkness this morning, if we look forward to 2017 and with trepidation, we can think of that. That while we were in the outer darkness of sin, Christ died for us. And if Christ died for us, Christ is not going to leave us and walk away from us in the midst of that darkness. He will bring us through that darkness. He will be with us in that darkness. But in that darkness we must cling to him. We must hold on to him. And when we understand what God has done for us in Christ. Then every other circumstance. Every other situation is put into its place. And if Christ 
died for us, if God sent his son and sacrificed him and Christ went willingly to to the cross for our sake as our sacrifice, then everything else is put into its proper perspective. That God will not abandon us. God will not leave us. God has not abandoned us. God has not left us. In 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9, Peter wrote this. To a people who were dispersed among the nations. He wrote his letter to those churches who had been scattered throughout Galatia and throughout Asia Minor. He wrote a letter to those people who knew persecution, who knew oppression, who knew darkness. And yet in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, he says this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so as these captives were celebrating their return to Zion, they were looking back at that time at what the Lord had done for them, that the Lord had been faithful to his promises, that the Lord had stayed faithful to his people, that he had taken them from that exile. And they were now singing with laughter. Their mouths were filled with laughter, their tongues with songs of joy. And that is the reality for those who are the people of God. This experience of joy in times of trial. It is a remarkable truth. That the joy that a Christian can have in the face of trial. Is something that the world cannot understand. That as the Christian faces difficulty, as the Christian faces the depth of darkness that brings the world to despair, the Christian is able to say, I stand firm because I stand upon the rock of my salvation who is Christ. We see some of the confusion of the world In this psalm, as we look at verse 2, it says, Then it was said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. That the world around is looking at these people as they're coming back from exile. The world is looking at the joy that they have. And the world is wondering, well, why are you happy? Look at the suffering you've experienced. Look at the difficulties you've faced. Why are you joyful? And praise is turned to God, even from the mouths of the nations around. Yes, the Lord has done great things for them. Because as we face trial, as we face those difficulties in our lives, as God works in and through us in the midst of those difficulties, as we 
show forth his grace, his glory, and indeed his joy in the midst of those trials. People look on. People see what is happening. And they see the Lord at work within us. Paul told the people in Philippi to rejoice in the Lord always. And remember that as Paul was writing those words, Paul was sitting in a Roman prison in chains, yet he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And to emphasize the point, he says, again, I say, rejoice. As I am sitting here in this Roman prison, and as I am in chains, I am telling you, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Don't mind the chains. Don't mind the prison. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. And as we look to the Lord, as we look to him, as we look at what he has done for us in Christ, as we look at how he has worked in and through us in the past year, the Lord is the source of our joy. And the Lord alone. If we want to make an impact in the world around us, if we want to be that light to the nations, if we want to be that city on the hill that cannot be hid, which is what we are. And we can't avoid that. There is a watching world, there's a people who are looking at us. And as they look at us, what should they see? They should see those people whose mouths are filled with laughter, their tongues with songs of joy because of what the Lord has done, because our confidence is in the Lord. It's not that we are to be falsely joyful. It's not that we are to put smiles on our faces whenever our hearts are breaking. Our hearts can break and we can show that pain. We are called to mourn at times, are we not? But within that breaking heart, within that mournful sigh, there can be joy. Because our confidence is in the Lord. So when looking back here, the people's source of joy is the Lord. And as we look back in 2016, we have reason to be joyful. We have reason to celebrate. We have reason to say the Lord is the source of our joy. (coughs) But as the people look back, so too they look forward. In verse 4, we see a change in emphasis. We see a shift. We see this cry of, restore our fortunes, O Lord. As they've looked back with joy, now they look forward in hope. Because as the Lord is the source of joy, so now the Lord is the source of hope. The Lord is the source of 
of hope. As the people have returned to Jerusalem, they've walked past fields that have lain uncultivated. They're hard. They're dry. They've walked over water courses that have been silted up and no longer flow. They arrive at a city whose walls have been cast down. The gates are hanging off their hinges. The buildings lie in ruins within the city. They face a difficult task. They face a hard task. They face an impossible task. But they're not downcast. They're not put off the challenge that they face. Rather, they are inspired. They are encouraged to get on with the job. And their cry is to the Lord, restore our fortune. As the Lord has helped them in the past. As the Lord has been faithful to them every step of the way. So now they have confidence that the Lord will be faithful to them in the future. That the Lord will not abandon them. That the Lord will not leave them alone. That the Lord is the source of their hope. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. We have two images then coming to our attention here. Two images that describe, that explain the hope that the people have. We have the image of the streams in the Negev. The streams of the wilderness. The Negev is is an important word whenever it comes to explaining these sorts of things. The Negev is the area in the south of Israel that is the desert. It's the wilderness. It's somewhere that nothing grows. And if someone was going to the south, they were going out to despair and desperation. That's what we're seeing here. But there would be times of of the year whenever the rains would come in the Negev. Even in the wilderness, the water would flow down and the streams would fill up and flow with water. Even in the wilderness, even in the emptiness of despair, there is the hope of blessing. And so whenever the people cry here, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev, they're looking for that infilling, that flowing of God's blessing, of the rains falling down and filling those dry water courses and washing the silt away. Here we see the promise, the desire that the Lord's blessing will come. There's an expectancy to it. There's an expectancy and a certainty to it. Restore our fortunes like the streams in the Negev. And as those waters fall and fill those streams, so we expect you, Lord, to bless us. Perhaps if there's one thing that we have lost sight of in the church, it is this expectancy. It is this sense of expectancy that the Lord will bless. 
That he will rain down blessing upon us. And streams that seem dry at the moment will be filled. And all that silt will be washed away. Have we lost sight of that? So easily a church can just simply fall into a maintenance mode. Of just keeping going what already exists. Which is all good and right and proper. But that can become almost what we think. That should be all that we should be doing. We lose sight of looking beyond for further blessing. We don't cry out to the Lord. Restore our fortunes, Lord. Bless us, Lord. Pour your blessing upon us so that we can know your strength and your grace in a particular way. And once we are in that maintenance mode, it's so easy to believe what the world would tell us. That sure you're small. You're irrelevant. You're on the wrong side of history. You're not going to make a difference in any way. But how we need to regain that cry of expectancy. Restore our fortunes like the streams in the Negev. Is that what we're going to pray? Is that what we're going to seek for 2017? Is that what we're going to be looking for in 2017? It's been a great blessing to see this project complete in 2016. A great blessing to see how people came together, how you came together to create what is here. But now this is here. This is only the beginning. This is just the start of something. How we need to cry, Lord, restore our fortunes. Bless us. Now we have this. Take us on. And we need to pray that expectantly. Fill us like the streams in the Negev. Seek that blessing. It's a very simple phrase in James 4.2 where James says, you do not have because you do not ask. Have we asked for blessing? Do we seek blessing? Do we ask and cry out, restore our fortunes? The Lord is the source of our hope. But not only is there that picture of the, of the, the streams in the Negev, we see this picture of the sower going forth and sowing in tears, but reaping with songs of joy, sowing with weeping, but coming back with his sheaves with him. And this would be a very strong and poignant image for the people here. The image of the sower as they have walked past fields where nothing has grown. Where they know the sowing of the seed is going to be difficult and hard. And as some of you know only too well, whenever it comes to the sowing of seed or indeed any farm work, it is hard, it is demanding, and there is not, the results are not immediate. 
I once was at a, far, a farm where a farmer grew oats. And he had a barn full of oats that he took me to show. And he said, look, here are my oats. And the oats filled more or less than half the barn up to the roof. I don't know how many tons or how many millions of grains of oats were there. He said to me, you know those oats, they're useless. He had slaved all year to grow his crop. He had slaved all year to produce oats that would be fit to go into your porridge in the morning. But the buyer from Quaker Oats had arrived and she'd taken one little cup full of oats from this huge pile that was in the barn. And she took one grain of oats and she'd cut it in two. And inside that grain of oats there was a grey mark. And she said, no, we're not having that. The whole harvest was rejected because of that one faulty oat. And he said to me, I don't know if I could do this again. The effort that it took, the effort that it was to bring that crop to seed or to bring that crop to fulfillment and to harvest it and then to have it lying worthless in a barn. He said, why am I doing it? Whenever it comes to sowing the seed of the word of God, we can feel like that. Why is it that we do all that effort to invite people along to meetings? Why is it that we make that effort to speak to that person at work? Why is it that we make that effort even within our families to create, to present a good Christian witness that is consistent and real? Why do we do it? It just seems to be that sometimes we sow and there's nothing comes back. But here we have the promise. Here we have the reality that those who sow, yes, in tears, who go through that difficulty, who make the effort, who put in the effort, will reap with songs of joy. That those who go forth weeping, carrying the heaviness of the seed and it seems to be burdensome and it seems to be something that we just are not able to do. We will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves. That's a promise. We know that whenever we sow that seed, as we read from Mark 4 earlier on, some of that seed may land in the path and be snatched away. Some of that seed will land on the stony ground and be scorched by the sun. Some will fall among thorns and be choked. It will not grow. It will not come to fruition. But there will be some that will fall on good soil. There will be some that will fall on soil in which it will throw down a root and that root will grow deeper and grow longer and stronger and will draw up nourishment from the word of God and that seed will produce a crop. So we may be sowing the seed at the moment in a way where it's landing on unfruitful ground. 
where it's landing on the path and amongst the thorns and we just don't know where that crop is going to come from but some of it is landing on good soil. And how encouraging it should be for us that as we sow the seed, as we seek to spread the word around that God is bringing nourishment to the seed that he chooses. And that seed will be brought to fruition. The Lord provides the increase. The harvest is certain. So as we look at 2017, as we look at what is to come, we can look to this hope, we can look to this certainty that the harvest will come. But we need to keep sowing the seed. We need to keep carrying that seed. We need to keep shedding our tears as we exert effort in sowing the seed. But the harvest will come. Paul says in Galatians 6, 9, And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap. If we do not give up. So as we come to the end of another year, how are we looking back? Are we looking back with joy? For the Lord is the source of joy. As we go into another year, as we look towards 2017, how are we looking forward? Are we looking forward with hope? For the Lord is the source of Of our hope. In Habakkuk 3. 17 to 19. We read this. And I read this in closing. Though the fig tree should not blossom. Nor fruit be on the vines. The produce of the olive fall. And the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on the high places. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you that we have a faithful God in whom we can place our trust. We thank you that you are a God who fulfills your promises. And every promise that you have given will be fulfilled. We ask, Father, now that we would turn our eyes towards you. That we would consider how faithful you have been. That we would look to you with joy. That we would acknowledge you as the source of our joy. And we ask, Father, that even in the midst of trials and tribulations, that we will be able to stand upon the truth of your word,
and be able to express that joy that we can in Christ. To rejoice in the Lord always. And as we look at the year that is to come, we acknowledge that you are the source of our hope, that you are the faithful God, that you are the one who is with his people, and you are the one who provides the seed to be sown, and you are the one that brings fruition to that seed. We ask, Father, that we would not grow weary of doing good, that we would come to an understanding that in due season we will reap the harvest that you would have us reap. O Father, give us the strength that we do not give up, that we do not step back from this task, but allow us to know that hope every step of the way, that we may be able to rejoice in you and to glorify your name. We ask that you would apply your word to each and every heart this morning. May we know what you are saying to us. May we have that word of challenge, that word of encouragement that we need. And may we step out confidently in the truth of your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.